Alrighty, welcome to episode nine of the Partners Desk, and today we welcome yet another marketing-focused guest. You're going to have to stick with me because I am only going to name the most important things our guest has been a part of, and it's extensive. Our guest today is was the co-founder of Blind Society, a value-driven brand development agency, the former president and partner of Blue Media, an experiential marketing group who is known for almost all the Super Bowl graphics you see in each city, as well as the NFL fan experience, co-founder of Cobalt, which brings inventors, designers, prototypers, and production together into a streamlined process developing ideas into physical products, and most recently became the executive vice president of digital and e-commerce at Newface, an at-home beauty and wellness technology company. Welcome to the Partners Desk, Darren Wilson. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, dig in a little bit today. Hey, so I did not mention one thing, and I'm going to bring it up now. Uh, Darren is also the biggest sandbagger in the world when it comes to golf. At an 18 handicap, he continues to shoot mid to high 70s. So that's complete bullshit. But well, let's let's call that a fact because I think I've only broken 80 once in my life, and um, I don't know if anybody was there to witness it. So what, I don't even know if it's on the actual kit. Well, you gave us a run for our money when we played last time. Um, it's been a while, but, um, I mean, the weather's still nice out there. It's nice I, I, you guys bring out the best in me. You, you know, the swear engines bring out the best in me. I, I seem to go low. Well, um, speaking of golf, um, I want to talk about um, Blue Media. So, um, if I remember, and full disclosure to everybody, I used to work for Darren at Blue Media for a little while. Um, but it started as kind of a golf tournament um like they did the signage they did did you swear yeah. bags like like well back in the day uh we we all were here in phoenix arizona and large format printing was just getting started so we bought one of the first hp 2500s which print uh which would print about 40 inches wide 44 inches i think was the exact uh dimension but uh, here in Arizona, there are literally thousands of golf tournaments. So we thought it would be a fantastic idea to uh, build a golf tournament company that could do all the signage. And then we got into shirts and balls and everything that you would need to really uh, host, facilitate, put on a golf tournament on the production side. Um, and then essentially what happened, it grew, it grew from there as large format technology increased and changed. It got into vehicle wraps and a bunch of different things, but we, we did start in the golf business and uh, with so much opportunity making like a thousand or $2,000 in a tournament, we thought we were going to be Jay-Z rich back then, but uh, little did we know uh, the struggle in manufacturing is real to, to find margin and uh, get good process and, and grow. But yeah, that's uh, that's definitely where we started. So how many were there? And that was back in 2000 when you moved out there. Is that about right? Yeah, I moved here in early 2000 to Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I had actually hired uh, the two guys that had started the company called the golf tournament group back in that day, uh, Jared Smith and RJ Orr to do a tournament for me. Cause I was working at a nonprofit foundation that was essentially just hosting, uh, high, high net worth individuals, celebrities, and athletes to try to sell them financial products, which ultimately uh, was a, was another story. But, 
uh, they came in and did the tournament and I was like, man, this is cool. We should, we should really sell this to other people and design firms and branding agencies and eight and advertising. And, uh, like I said, large format was just getting started. And, and right about that time is when I joined them. I think there were six of us, uh, at the time. And, um, the name quickly evolved from the golf tournament group to blue media. And then blue media was born. Uh, what is it? Probably 22, 23 years ago now. So when you were saying that large format printing had just started um, or you were some of the first to actually do it in Arizona, what um, what was the first job? Because I working for you and then working prior to that for um, another kind of signage company, there are these sell the job and we'll figure it out. And so you have these, oh, shit, how do we do these moments? What, what did that look like in the early 2000s? I'm sure you guys had a couple of those. Well, I mean, the, the really interesting thing about that business is, you know, that that sell it and then, oh, shit, how do we do it was really part of the philosophy and culture of the business. We were the figure it out guys. We were dream, especially when you get into bigger brands and, and, and bigger opportunities, you have highly creative people and agencies and, and CMOs and on the brand side that are dreaming up these, I, these experiential marketing ideas of that involve printing fabrication and technology all kind of into one. And, and not only do you need to dream it up, you need to figure out how to build it, ship it, install it, strike it, store it, um, all across the board. So that sort of entrepreneurship <laughs> school of hard knocks hustle is uh is really what got us to where we are today or where blue media is today um i should say i left blue media in uh 2019 after 20 years uh to go pursue some some new opportunities but um that's it's still the core of the brand and and when you think about the the idea of large format printing and being able to print graphics digitally uh there there's everything from color to the substrate or the media that you're printing on to the laminate that you put on it to what you actually mount it to so you're mounting it to a wall to a car to a board to foam core to rigid metal it, you know all of those take different uh product engineering or different products to actually go in those situations so if you look at large format business a lot of there's really two paths you get into large production, very streamlined process like billboards, um, bus shelters, retail environments, and all of those require a different level of quality and expertise. And those companies laser focus on the products that they're putting out and they built fantastic process around that. And that's, that's really a race to the bottom in price and margin. I, I used to say it's like, jumping out of an airplane with four of your competitors and you guys are just going down in a circle waiting to see who's going to pull the parachute last uh, to get the business. I mean, I remember one time we were bidding on a best on some Best Buy work and Best Buy was brilliant. They built a reverse bid. <laughs> so basically everybody would log into this website and bid on these, you know, 20 to $200,000 projects. But Best Buy wanted the lowest price. So it was basically jumping out of an airplane, seeing how low you wanted to go and how much money you wanted to lose um, or how much you could make and how good your process were. So there's that very, very uh, streamlined production process on one side. And then there's the custom side on, on the other side, which is 
a lot more fleet custom vehicles um everything from like you mentioned uh we we had the nfl contract and we still do uh i think it'll be six or seven years right now and then i think we have another five but that includes the stadium the team hotels uh the airports all the major uh branding moments in the city on buildings uh the practice facilities uh at a number of locations but that's all custom work and even when you come in and and say you're working on the mizzou athletic facility and they they spend a million dollars to rebuild the athletic center to recruit talent and, and really build a great experience for the for the student athletes, somebody's got to come in and put the face on it after it's done. So working with architects, but those are all custom also. So you did mention when you were first starting with Blue Media that you're dealing with CMOs, you're dealing with big brands, people with typically bigger pockets trying to put on some of these events. I mean, the NFL is a very clear one that they've got very deep pockets, but at one point, you take some time away or kind of uh, take a moment for yourself to start Blind Society, which is, if I'm correct, it was more focused on brand development. Uh, were you able to leverage a lot of the clients that you met at Blue Media through Blue Media? Or was it more of, yeah. well, we have the back end and I know these guys, so I'll be able to sell better jobs? It, it was a little bit of both, you know, as, as Blue Media was growing, and, and just to correct my statement and your statement there, we didn't start off working with big agencies and CMOs. It was a lot of small business owners and much like a fast signs in, in the times, uh, but we just kept selling through that and growing and finding bigger and bigger clients in and around the Arizona market, California, New Mexico, Texas, and, and that's where a lot of our business was for the first probably 10 years. Uh, my background was in advertising and branding and graphic design. And uh, as as we were growing, we found a lot of clients that were needing those services. And, and, and we got to this, this crossroads where Blue Media really needed to grow up. And part of that was hiring our first PR agency is like, okay, you guys can't do logos and websites and banners. And it's just like, there's no story, you know? So so it was a really a great lesson uh, in focus and what we wanted Blue Media to become. So at that time, we were probably doing about 10 million a year, uh, eight to 10, I would say, and about a million of that was in graphic design branding work. But we ultimately made the decision to laser focus Blue Media and be the best in the business at experiential marketing, events, install. Um, and we had all the team, we had the Suns and the Coyotes and Cardinals and uh, the Diamondbacks, and we're, we're just laser focused on the Phoenix market and really perfecting our craft in that in that sports world. Um, but as we did that and we pushed uh, the branding work out of the business, th those opportunities were there. Some were right, some were wrong. Uh, but I, I met a gentleman that was a, a creative director named Jim Clark, and Jim wanted to uh, really venture into experiential and really change the, 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 the landscape of brand and brand activation and, and how that grew. So that's why we launched Blind Society in the beginning was to take some of that offload work. Um, and then in about a year or two, Blue, or I'm sorry, Blind Society really got focused in brand development for, for consumer brands. So we focused on B2C brands that we called well-funded. So 
you either had 50 to 250,000 to really dive into your naming, um, uh, logo, brand positioning, persona development, a digital strategy, you know, the look and feel of all touch points, whether it be a retail environment to a website, um, and, and building out the strategy to either launch or revitalize brands. And Carvana, I don't know if you've heard of Carvana, the, the online car sales brand, but we actually shared an office with Ernie Garcia and those guys back in the day, uh, or they shared our office um, as they were just getting started. And him and Ben um, had this idea and, and we worked with them literally from the naming all the way through the digital strategy. And if you've ever seen those um, car vending machines, mm-hmm. uh, that was an idea that, that came out of Blind Society and kind of one of those pie in the sky ideas. But testament to Ernie Garcia, he did it. He made it happen. And they're, they're all over the country now, which is which is just amazing. So if you guys were the ones who kind of helped get the car vending machine idea off the ground, where does there you can't go on to Alibaba or AliExpress and be like, yeah, give me some of those car vending machines. Like, how, how do you even find a person that can do that because at that point it was probably even too big for blue media now that they have machining and fabrication right but they're not going to yeah no that wouldn't be i mean that's a that's a full general contractor construction build with elevators (laughs) and madness i mean blue media did all the signage Mm -hmm. uh in the brand experience as as you would arrive and and we concepted what that would feel like and uh and what the consumer what the customer experience would be as as they arrived and and actually put their token in and got their car. But I mean, I mean, from the concepting phase is where it really started, you know, when when we would pitch ideas like that, or and, and that's what we would, um, we would work with CMOs and Target and um, SoulCycle and, and really look at JetBlue and other ones to say, we want to do this partnership, we want to do these ideas. So what we would essentially do is this was the other side of the business. So there was the brand development piece and then there was the experiential activations. And on the experiential side, what we would do, we worked with illustrators and people that could help us visualize the idea. And that's something you've probably heard me say, Reed, but if you can see it, you can sell it. Mm -hmm. So really helping bring creative to the client is where you start to visualize the idea. So we would work with a variety of like hand-drawn illustrators, digital illustrators, to concept these different ideas. So Jim and his team would concept the idea and my team would do all the budget forecasting, the build forecasting, and whether we would say, hey, we can't build this one, but uh, it's a full-on structure, but it's a giant billboard. You get to own real estate. It's a real estate play. Like, so we'd have some of those, you know, three or four pie in the sky ideas, three or four really feasible ideas and two or three affordable ideas. And that was one of the big ones. Uh, but that that's part of that process where the client would see an illustration of what this could look and feel like and what it would feel like to walk in and, and receive their car and some ideation around how we could actually promote it and why it would be a fantastic idea. And then the last section would be a budgeting exercise that was always a high and a low of, Here's what something like this would take to bring to life. And that one was a little bit out of above our skis to build a full <laughs> structure. Um, but like I said, Ernie's uh, a passionate guy and he found a way to get it done. I mean, you talk about a real like 
everybody who drives by knows exactly what that is. I mean, obviously they have branding all over the building, but if you said, if you said, oh yeah, that car vending machine, you're like, oh, Carvana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's interesting too. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I <laughs> I didn't get into that side of it, but I mean, it's a real estate play on the on the asset side of the business. If they decide to, you know, buy that, it's almost like the McDonald's model. If you decide to own those structures or you know, the buildings themselves. I would love um, to see the next guy who comes in after it being a car vending machine and be like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is our office building now. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Yeah, exactly. We can get the desks up to the fourth floor really easy. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that brings up another question because I know I'm personally, I consider myself a marketing guy, but I end up lending myself more to the finance side anymore um, here at Lamey's and EMS. But what kind of pieces, how, how much of that at the very beginning of Blind Society can you actually do yourself? Because you talk about uh, modeling and illustrations and, um, you know, budget forecasting. Well, I think it's, you know, what I, what I would tell people and what I used to tell people at Blind when we were doing those projects is, listen, you are going to pay, pay experts to be experts. And, and, and that's the, the end of the day. And if, and if you if you want creative ideation and if you want budget forecasting and you, like you don't have somebody on your team to do that, you're not you're not good at that. No, no offense. But like somebody that does that day in and day out, invest in that ideation, get an outside perspective for your business about how other people could look at it, especially an expert that could look at that and go, wow. You know, why, why are you spending that or why are you spending this? And this could come and this is a way we could do it. And then when it comes to the production and execution, if you want to take the ball and run the execution, have at it. You know, I hope it's good enough to go in my portfolio someday because <laughs> you did it half as good as we would have in the passion behind it. Yeah. But, you know, if I execute it and it's one hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to make 20 to 30 percent margin on it. Um, if you do it, you're going to save that, but it depends on if you want to have a neck to choke or have somebody accountable to it. But at the first part on the creative side, you know, it's, it's, uh, really the opportunity to bring somebody in. That's great. I love, I love the story of, um, a guy, uh, he was a blue media client, a fantastic, uh, guy named Mark Ryan, and he had a cable um, like cabling installation company. And he had like 40 trucks and we wrapped all their trucks and, and we did a bunch of different projects for him. And, and um, he, he bought some hours just to sit down and brainstorm with me one day. And we started talking and he's like, okay, I got 20 grand and that's my marketing budget. And I want to figure out how to get more clients. And I was like, okay. So, and this taught me a lot because I'd, I'd never do this anymore the way I did back then. But so we're talking for about an hour and a half. And I finally got to the point and I'm like, okay, well, how many clients are like, how, what, what's our target? Like how many clients are out there? And he's like, four, there's four. But I'm like, what do you mean there's four? And he's like, yeah, I want to talk to all the apartment complex builders and there's four big ones in the state. And if I get all those, I'll do 15 million a year. I'm like, dude, why didn't we start there? So basically you have $5,000 for these four individuals. Like, let's figure out what, you don't need me. Take them to dinner, <laughs> go to lunch, buy them new golf clubs, take them to the Super Bowl. You got five grand, a, a client to build that relationship. It's not a broad approach. It's a laser focused approach. 
And I think that's where most entrepreneurs fail is they don't, they don't, everything starts with the customer, everything. So who is the customer? Name her, name him. So everybody on the team is like, okay, how are we going to build a better relationship with Sally? How are we going to build something for Sally that she actually enjoys and tells her friends about and helps us grow and find more Sally's? And how many of, how many Sally's and David's are out there? Okay, where are they? How are we? And, and I think that's the exercise a lot of people fail because they're like, I'll just trust my gut. It's worked before. And you're like, well, do you even like the customers that you have? Are they good customers? Or are they Sally? Because Sally's fantastic and she's not that hard to get, but you have to focus on getting her. And, I, and that's where I all, I've always started from there 18 years since that meeting of it starts with the customer, starts and ends. So that's a great segue into what you're doing now at New Face. So as a guy, I could you buy a lot of beauty products. I do actually. I don't wake up like this, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, no, but uh, so I asked, we don't have a ton of women who work here at Lamy's day in and day out. We have, you know, a handful. But so I asked them this morning, I was like, do you know what New Face is? And the two that I two of the three that I spoke to said no. And I said, do you know what this is? And I showed them the products on the New Face website. And they're like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. So when it comes to getting in front of your customer at New Face, right? Everybody knows what the products are in general, right? They know what the face mask is. They know what the, the roller is. Microcurrent facial device. Yes, Microcurrent. they know what that is. <laughs> so yes. what, how do you separate yourself and get in front of people um, in a market like beauty where a lot of the products seem the same? And maybe they're not. Maybe it's just because I'm a guy and I'm looking at them like, oh, yeah, those four things are the exact same. Like. Like, tell me about that whole process of standing out in that crowd. Well, I think at New Face, we're lucky uh, because we're the pioneers in the business. And Carol Cole, who founded the business, and both of her daughters have have really held the torch, led the torch, whatever you want to call it, in in the development of microcurrent technology and bringing that technology out of the spa and to home and, and so to allowing. Is it, sorry to interrupt, what is microcurrent technology? Uh, the easiest way to think about it is fitness for your face. So you want your forearms and your quads to look better. You're gonna work oh, out your forearms and your quads. Like a TENS machine so for your face. It, it essentially sends microcurrent to, in all areas of your body, we have one for the body also. Uh, but essentially it tightens and, um, removes fine lines and wrinkles. Uh, and it works like there's, there's products that do eyebrow lifts that do cheekbone lifts. Um, and a lot of people would, would use these products in the spa and go in for a spa treatment and get it. But much like working out, if you don't do it at least three or four days a week, uh, your muscles tend to fatigue. So it really, what it does is it works the tissue and the muscle under the skin to tighten and um, bring out different the, the features the way that you ultimately want them. And the brand today, we've launched uh, eight new SKUs that are skincare products that are actually designed to work with the microcurrent device. So there is a, a, there's two or three options for a gel creme that you can put on before you use the device. We've got activators and moisturizers and products that can really be a part of your full routine. 
So back to your original question of like how we, how we find her, who's the right fit for us and how we position ourselves, you know, you have to look at, there, there's two elements to me. You look at what assets you have, like what story you have to tell, and you lean in to the best parts of the story, meaning we are the pioneers in the business. Our technology is FDA approved. No one else, nobody else can say those two things. Um, so, so you find a series of those that you really build the messaging and positioning around. Uh, with beauty, uh, before and afters are huge. I mean, that's everything. Does it work? Does it work? If it works, I'll pay for it. So you have to have a really um, deep portfolio of before and afters. And when you hear me say UGC, that's user generated content. So we want to go out and find UGC and get rights to use that UGC of people that have had a great experience, and especially in today's TikTok, Insta, all the social assets and communities that are out there, we as consumers, we want to see other people using products. We want to see real people using real products. So that's a huge piece of the strategy. And then in blending those visual assets across the top of the messaging. And then the last piece, which kind of goes into that before and after, I mean, Nike is legendary for, for doing it right. It's not about talking about the features and benefits constantly. It's about talking about how the product makes you feel. It talks about what it's about talking about what the product is going to do for me. I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest, we're all selfish assholes. So we want it's all about me, 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 me. And and when I'm shopping at a home online, it's how good am I going to look in that shirt? Yeah, that guy's cute. But is it going to look good for me? Mm -hmm. How good is how good is this going to work on me? And that's that's where we really try to focus a lot of the positioning is finding ways to tell the story that can apply to her and and, and i think it's it's a quote one of my favorite quotes about leadership it, it works very well for branding is great leaders can paint a future they can they can they can help visualize a future that other people can see themselves in and if I'm explaining to you where we're going and where we're taking this ship, you're like, yeah, I could do that. I can be that role. I could help here. I might even drive that ship. Mm -hmm. And it gets it, it gets people aligned and excited. And if you think about that as, as a brand, uh, you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to paint a future or, or a visual that people can see themselves using your product. And, and is it what's the efficacy? Are you a good company? Are you, you know, all the things that are important to buying today, those, those are key as you try to tell the story. The last thing I'll say is you think about all these things that you write down to tell the story. And I, I, I bring it back to dating. Um, and I, and I do this a little bit in my Ted talk when you talk about the power of connection, it's like going on a first date with a real jerk. And all he does or she does is talk about her big house and her Ferrari and how fantastic she is and blah, 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 blah. She takes every fantastic thing about her and just vomits it on you in the first hour. And you're like, whoa, Turbo, calm down. I'm like, just getting to know you. Like, that's what any of us would do as humans. And you, and you have to think about the journey that, that that couple goes on from the moment they meet to the day that they actually get engaged. And the day they get engaged, engaged is a very powerful word, because if you think about that as your brand and you have all these wonderful things to say, are you saying them all on the first date or do you really understand the client journey? And are you giving the clients and your customers the nuggets that they need along the way? Because what most people don't realize, you have the power to do that. 
you have the power to set the cadence of how you teach them. And then if they get engaged, they'll be your customer for life. So that word matters in both of those situations. So a lot of people have a bunch of wonderful things to say. They just vomit it on people. And they don't think about like, what I see in a billboard is different than what I see in the email than is what is different than I actually walk into your retail environment. Each of those are moments to tell a story. And, and the key is getting your special messages lined up to, to tell that story proactively the way you want to tell it instead of just reactively in a terrible first interaction. So you mentioned Nike and that kind of goes along with what you were saying where they are they are basically known for this one commercial. I mean, they're known for a lot of commercials, right? But they're one commercial that's probably one of the greatest commercials that's aired in the last 10 or 15 years is the the kid jogging up the street just absolutely dying a sweat. Do you remember do you know what commercial I'm talking yeah. about? I'll try to put a link below if I can find it. But that there's no marketing when it comes to this product or it's a, it's all about the feeling, right? And that's kind of what You remember the Just Do It? It's probably a little before your time, but the yeah. the original Just Do It campaign there's not a lot of message. There's not a lot of talking. It, it, it's, it's about um, telling the story of, of that person and that athlete and the journey of an athlete that we can all picture ourselves in. We can all say, yeah, God, I hate jogging <laughs> or whatever it is. But like they paint that picture. Exactly. So what is what is New Faces campaign look like to... I mean, we've, you've touched on it a little bit, but go into a little depth for me. What does New Faces campaign look like to tell um, women and even men that this is the product, this is part of the brand that you want, that you want to be a part of? This is the group. So what we found that that is successful is we either we either and it depends on the media as well like if it's a paid media situation um we're usually leading with results before and after because that's gonna garner your attention i want results it's about me 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 now as your curiosity builds you're like holy cow this is a women-owned women-founded pioneers of this product fda approved so then we're kate we build the cadence so as you inquire more as you come spend time with our brand you learn all these wonderful things that that are triggers for you that you're like, wow, yeah, I want to support a women owned brand. That's amazing. You know, they're innovative, they're entrepreneurship, you know, all these things they've accomplished over the last 18 years. That's warming me up on the second and third date. And then as we look at a big piece of what we're doing right now and and, and we're working towards becoming um, what we call a digital first brand. Uh, launching a new app, launching new products, launching a new website. And all of that is centered around the idea of personalization. So personalization is, is huge across every product you can imagine from sneakerheads to, to new apparel, even uh, Nike is another example. You can build any Nike shoe you want and have it in 10 days. I mean, it's insane, mm -hmm. but how personalization applies to beauty is my routine. What is the routine I need for me to, to achieve optimal results? So that as, as we've built the confidence and, and comfort for her to, to trust the brand, personalization is introduced with some really cool quizzes and tools that not only allow me to build a database to continue to market to you, 
that I learn things about you in first party data. I learn your age. I learn what your goals are. I learn what type of skin type you have. I learn what your challenges might be. So I'm not going to sell you blue shoes if you love yellow shoes. You know what I mean? I'm going to sell you skincare. I'm going to sell you product through email, through your website experience, through all these different elements that are that are designed for you and make the shopping experience better. So I know that, especially now, everybody gets a little weirded out when you talk about having some users' data. Obviously, these people that you're talking about have given you it they're on the app they want to tell you they want to see what you yeah. have exactly works for them so like we've been approached here at Lamy's all the time like you should buy all this data from your users or from the area so that you can target specific users right but that's not really what new face is going after it's it's about bringing well, somebody in so that they tell you what it is right yeah it's it's about building our own first party database and with all of the privacy that's happening i mean what you're probably talking about is direct mail and and some of yeah. some of those and i mean it's i don't know all the the legalese around it but buying email lists and and non-opted in email is highly frowned upon yeah. <laughs> but by by the, the 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 legal parties that represent that um, but yeah, finding ways to capture data, whether it's in location, online, or other places to say, this is why you should care. We have fantastic live concerts. We have new books. Or if you're a collector, like imagine if I went on and I could take a quiz and say, these are the types of books I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And the algorithm basically says, I'm interested in history, collectibles, or college books, or uh, fiction uh, by this author. And then the database, as the as the books come into the backside of the database, it would say, hey, Reed. And automatically, Reed gets an email that says, these four books are here. Want us to hold them for you? Like, how do you make the experience of, like, what they're coming there for? Is it a reservation? Is it an experience? Is it a live concert? Um, and how do, you, how do you cater? So capturing the information is number one. And, and really understanding your data and, and all the data points that you can put inside a profile. And then number two is, how do we actually message that back in a relevant way? Because the brands that do it great, uh, you and I don't mind. Like when you get something from your favorite clothing brand and it's the new jogger pants that you love and they just came out in a new camo color, you're like, sweet, I'm grabbing a pair of those before they're out of stock. Like you love that. But you don't love being spammed six times a day with products that you don't enjoy. Yeah. So the, that's the key, though, is getting, getting that data right. So when you try to get these users the first time, and we're just going to keep using Newface because it's the um, topic of discussion, and it, and it probably makes the most sense um, from a user acquisition point relative to what we've already talked about. Um, because social media is so big and there is a bajillion different sites, not only is it large in the user base, but there are so many different avenues to go through between the, between TikTok, between YouTube, Instagram. Do you see that, and you don't have to give me any insider information, but does new face target one more than the other, or is it? more of a scatter shot yeah. just to make Great sure that question. you're hitting I everything. Mean, 
I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. When you define your customer, when you understand, what did I call her, Julie? Uh, yeah. 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 Sally. Julie. Sally. Yeah. Sally. So when we understand who Sally is, Sally's not using Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. She's got one that she really loves. Mm -hmm. And most brands have, I, I usually build three different personas. So David might be on Facebook, Sally might be on Instagram, and Georgie, uh, who's 18 that loves to come in and read, uh, is probably on TikTok uh, or Snapchat. And it depends when you say where, where, if I put Sally, David, and Georgie on a piece of paper, and I said, put a percentage above each of them where your revenue comes from, mm -hmm. who are going to be bigger? Be like, Reed, where do you think we should focus? Who should we get more of? Okay, what is Sally on? She's on Instagram. David's 58. He's on Facebook. That's where all his friends are. They haven't transitioned as much. He might dabble, but he's on Facebook. And what is, then you get down to the fact of like, okay, what's Sally into? Why does she love our property and our product? Why does David love our property and our product? The messaging for David and Sally are different on both of those platforms. And that's where your communication strategy or your messaging strategy comes in to say, this is really for Instagram and those users, because that's what Sally is. This is really for David. And this is really for Georgie. And what outcome do you want from them? But it all comes back to that customer and, and understanding you, you don't need 40 personas. You need three and, and three starts, but it starts to align your team and anybody on your team should be able to validate why they created a piece of content, why they put out a piece of content. And there's there's definitely content that goes across all those. Like, hey, we're doing blank. Um, we're doing this. That applies to everybody. But some of the more unique content that really gets the engagement is built for Sally or David. Huh. That makes sense? No, no, it does. I'm I'm trying to think of where to go next because I, I, every time that you and I talk in general, I always have more and more questions. And so I kind of have to filter out exactly what the most yeah. pressing question is. So let's go back to us for a second. Let's go back to Lamy's, for instance. I'm going to get some free business advice here. Um, we have a Facebook and an Instagram, uh, multiple Instagrams, but um, we don't dabble at all on YouTube or TikTok or Snapchat. Um, if we were to post the same thing on Facebook and Instagram, that's probably not the most effective marketing strategy because typically those two demographics are going to be wildly different. Would you say that my... Yeah, ideally, yeah, they are. And I, and I think it's like for restaurants and retail environments uh and what, what where i see a lot of entrepreneurs fail is they look at okay what, what i'll just do the exercise with you what are your two slowest days of the month of the week tuesday wednesday basically okay so what you'll probably be doing or it's not part of the strategy is you're just getting busier on thursday friday and saturday which are pissing people off because they can't get reservations or it's sold out mm -hmm. or it's too busy mm -hmm. So you flip that and say, how can we make more money on Tuesday and Wednesday right. and balance that out? Right. So what would Sally like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night? Would she like girls night? Would she like Bunko? Would she like bridge? Mm -hmm. Would she like 
What are these ideas? What would David like? Is it boys night? Is it the night to come in and watch the game? Is it, is it the night to come in after golf? Is it in, in those strategies to fill up and you build the idea of scarcity of why is there a line around that bar? Why is it so busy? Well, because they're going quick, baby. Everybody wants to be here. Um, and then, and then you, 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 what, what, what gives you the ideation is solving business problems. So you look at, I want to crush Wednesday lunch. Okay. Well, who's going to come to Wednesday lunch? All the businesses in the area. Okay. How do we reach them? Is it on Facebook? Is it door knocking? Is it walking in and saying, Hey, love to buy you lunch next week. We're doing an awesome networking lunch every Wednesday or once a month. Cause is it likely that everybody's going to come every Wednesday? No, but they probably come once a month. Okay. One Wednesday off the month done. Um, so you, you, you concept these business strategies that actually create revenue, create experiences and are achievable. They're not high in the sky. You can actually get them done. They're achievable ideas. And then you look at the tools that you have, whether they're social media, direct mail, hiring some guy to walk around and say, want a free bagel? Um, and then those drive those strategies. Yeah, we make John get out in front of the uh, building with like one of those inflatable. Those arms. spinny signs? Yeah. Oh, with the spin. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what. That's going to be our next one. Once it gets warm, we'll just have him sit on the corner next to the hydrant. I bet he's going to be fantastic. He's, he's got great hand-eye skills. So he'll, <laughs> he'll be able to like flip it and spin it. So I also wonder, do you – so let me – go over this real fast because I may not have grasped everything exactly. So obviously for here, we'll keep using this example, Tuesday and Wednesday, Wednesdays, we want to be more, we want to be busier. We want it to be more lively, be more fun. Um, so we start to conceptualize what we can do on those days. Is it better for us to start thinking of what audience we already have on these platforms and try to build around. I think that's exactly what you were saying, right? Like I'm just I mean, maybe, maybe, but if they're the wrong people, I mean, if it's all your friends and buddies, no, yeah. <laughs> but if it's like, <laughs> but if it's, if it's a growth strategy, um, you know, that gives you, you know, you could test some Facebook ads, you could test some Instagram ads, like targeted right geographically, in those areas. I mean, if there's in season as people are traveling to the Lake of the Ozarks, mm -hmm. is are there a moment to make this the stop on the way when everybody wants to get out of the car, have a great lunch, be good in and out in 30 minutes? Like what's important to me when I'm traveling? In and out in 30 minutes, get your shit, get back in the car. <laughs> you know, get on those moments and target people that are in the Ozarks or traveling or homeowners or how you figure that out, I don't know, but um, I think it's more, you know, looking at the audience and the demographic that you can reach and then nailing those down into the Sally's and the David's that make sense and then building something and creating something that appeals to them. Do you think that, let's say Instagram and Facebook's metrics, their general data that they'll give to businesses like your demographic is this many years old or you have this percentage of yeah. women. Do you th generally think those are pretty accurate or as a as a company as big as New Face, you probably can do your own sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I would I would say they're pretty darn good at their job. Well, um, that's probably why they've been getting in trouble is because they're so good at their job. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, the, 
the and, and I mean the, the the beautiful thing there is you can it's not tens of thousands of dollars to test and you know another one of my kind of core principles is failing fast three of the five ideas you come up with aren't going to work fantastic you know you're learning uh chalk it up that one didn't work what didn't work about it and but but it's important for you and your team to always break that down and have a um a come to jesus meeting at the end and say okay what worked what didn't work uh how much did we actually make off of this and it doesn't need to be a 40 page report it can be two pages and be like this is how much revenue we drove this is how much it costs what was the roi do we make four times the money five times that's where i'd like i'd like to see a lot of our investments making at least four or five times the revenue that it costs in gross revenue mm -hmm. um and you're going to learn and you're going to get better and 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 i mean the other thing is of just like just starting with your customer ask Sally. Mm -hmm. She's probably yeah. got some pretty good ideas of what would be cool and fun. Uh, David would too, or he'd be like, yeah, it might be cool to come down and do X or Y. And, you know, a lot of those, you know, and that's another way to create engagement. If you have that audience or I don't know, test your audience, you got Instagram and Facebook, ask them. Yeah. It would be cool to do on a Tuesday or a Thursday, or uh, the best idea is going to win dinner for three. Um, you know what I mean? And then there's tons of ways to just, I mean, it's a survey, but it's a really conversational survey yeah. to listen to what your community wants. And that's what the best brands are doing is, is listening, you know, and that's where a lot of us fail is because we think we have all the answers because we were smart enough to build and create a business, mm -hmm. but are we really smart enough to listen to our best customers and, and evolve the business for them? I, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so because I'm now stumped and I have plenty to think about after this, uh, we're going to transition. Okay. <laughs> so um, I will. I am going to run some stuff by you because I think that, um, well, obviously you're an expert in, in this capacity and many others, but this one in particular. So, um, But where I was going next, and I really want to talk about because I am a guy who – um, is constantly coming up with new ideas that I'll never end up doing ever. Yeah. Um, so what helps solve that problem? Cobalt. So I want to, I want to talk about cobalt and, and tell our listeners like what, what is cobalt and can they be a part of it in one of the, one of the different communities? Yeah, I mean, cobalt. Uh, cobalt was created because of of people just like you that that have an idea that might not have know how to get from point A to point C, let's say. Yeah. And and really, it comes back to that idea of like, if you can see it, you can sell it. And I don't mean sell it to a consumer. I mean, sell it to somebody that needs to build the website for you. Sell it to other experts and explain your idea in a way that says, "Yeah, I have done my research." I, I know my strategy and I've concepted visually what the product could look like. And here's where I'm at. Now I'm actually ready to go into an incubator or go find investment or build my first prototype and then start to see if anybody other than my mom thinks this is a good idea. <laughs> um, and so what Cobalt does is it provides what, what we call early stage entrepreneurs, the tools and framework um through a series of questions and 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 uh tutorials that help you say 
who is your Julie? Who is your Sally? Who is your David? And why will they care about your idea? Who is the competitive set? How, who, who else is out there doing this in the world? And it takes you through all those questions that somebody that's going to invest in you, whether it's a bank, an uncle, an individual, are going to ask you of like, all right, well, good idea. Have you done all your due diligence? So it brings you to that phase. And then what it does is it helps you create the prototype, build out whether it's an app or an idea. You don't have to build the app. You have to visualize what the app will do so others can understand your idea. And the way that it does that is, is much like Fiverr does in the gig technology, where if you're a freelancer and you're really good at prototyping new car wheels or yoga mats or whatever that can become, let's say your idea is yoga mats for kids. Well, they're probably going to be the shapes of animals or cool blobs or things that engage kids. Well, you can't draw that. You need somebody, and either an illustrator or a digital designer, that can help you visualize your idea, create a small, a quick logo, and and start to tell your story. So what Cobalt does is it creates, it connects the innovators with with the um, with the people, the the gig workers that have all those different skill sets. Whether you're a writer, an illustrator, a designer, um, and then that that pulls those two things together to help give that entrepreneur the lift that they need from A to C. And there's a ton of programs and innovation or um, uh, incubators and other places for them to take their idea and surround themselves with experts to help grow it afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, but getting off center is the hardest part. And that that's why Cobalt was created. But it also goes through, doesn't, it goes from the innovators to designers or anything to prototypers, prototyping facilities if you will and then can't yeah. can't they even get hooked up with a manufacturer at the very end isn't there still that kind of there there is and i, I mean that that is uh, a great entrepreneurial startup story is you know the, the ideas of what the platform could do are endless could it have financing options could it have manufacture absolutely it could have all of those things but as an early stage entrepreneur, you have to you have to focus to get something right first, mm -hmm. and then you start bolting on those features and just bringing more and more to the community. But like anything in entrepreneurship, brand, or life, you got to build the community. Mm -hmm. Once you have a community, um, you have something. You you have data. You have people that are that are headed towards an equal or a, a shared goal or or shared interests. And then, then you can bring endless tools to them, whether it's technology, finance, money, legal, coaching, um, across the board, you know, and that just opens up this, this innovation economy is what we call it of the idea of connecting freelance people that are experts in certain things to the entrepreneurs that need them in a digital way. And the, the really fascinating part of Cobalt is the currency exchange and and how that is built and and what currency we're using you know could we use crypto could we use the american dollar is it the digital dollar I, you know all of those are opportunities but they and that that needs to transact globally which is insane because you might find an awesome designer in nepal or bolivia um but your dollar needs to pay that individual and they need to be able to, to, to um, not translate, I'm transact. blanking on the word, transact. No, uh, what do you call it when you, uh, you trade a dollar for a drachma or uh, exchange? 
exchange. You need to be able to exchange that for their currency, and then they need to be able to put it in their bank. Yeah, which it's happening. We're there, which allows ideas like Cobalt to actually happen where they couldn't ten years ago. So, one thing that you've said throughout this whole conversation that I have, and you've even alluded to your uh, TEDx talk back from 2015 that was literally titled Connection. It's all about connection. Um, what, what is the, and, it, and I'll leave a link below to Darren's TEDx talk. It, it was a great, it was a great, uh, uh, about 15 minutes on the background on connection hit for him. So can you give me just a quick, two or three minute synopsis of what uh, everybody yeah. can do to help be better connectors. I think, you know, for me, my, my passion, it, it is it is kind of the one theme throughout my career, whether it's my passion for actually helping entrepreneurs or or friends and family find their path and, and follow their dreams and, and get connected to the experts, the people, the community that can actually help them. Um, or does it apply to helping brands connect to their best customer and and really understand who their best customer is and quit yelling at them and vomiting on them on the first date, but truly building a relationship, building that connection and going from introduction to engagement. And the the talk is, is really, it, it talks a lot about how we're not using the technology. The tools it, it are just magical and they're coming out more and more every day. The tools that we have to build our dreams and build our companies and and, and whether it's if you want to be better at backgammon or if you want to start a new business, the tools are there for you. And at the end of the day, um, we're still taking a lot of pictures of our food. You know, yeah. like that's how we're using these platforms and these technologies for the masses. And I, and I kind of, you know, I make a joke of like in the talk of like aliens, you know, you think about aliens and they come back and look at us much like we look at the cavemen and we look at, oh, look at all these cute little drawings they used to put on the wall. And the cavemen would be like, wow, look, or the aliens, you know, coming from the future would say, wow, like they're doing pretty good in technology advancement and batteries and, you know, wherever they're growing. But like, isn't that crazy? 99% of the people are still taking pictures of the food they eat. <laughs> and that's how they're using the technology. Like we're such in the infancy of connection, like we're connecting with each other, which is human nature. And, and it will always be innate that way that we use the tools to connect with each other and find like-minded people and rally, whether it's politics, good or bad, whether it's sports, whether it's, and you just think about yourself and where you spend your time, um, use them better. You, they're there and, and they're there for you to connect to your dreams and, and the things you want to start. Like, I can't, I can't motivate you. I can just show you that the tools are out there and you just have to have the curiosity of the, the fear, the gumption, be ready to fail and grow and, uh, and jump in. And, um, but that's what the connection revolution is about and, and, and how these tools are there. And it truly is a revolution of, of everything that's changed in our lifetimes. And it's going to continue to, um, and how engaged are we in that opportunity? Very well said. That's going to be a perfect way to wrap this up. So um, thank you very much, Darren, for coming on. I know that uh, 
getting an hour of your time is extremely difficult. So thank you for sharing it with us. Um, I look forward to hopefully having you back on at some point. Um, talk more about connection, talk more about marketing, and I definitely will um, try to squeeze out some more free advice for lamies out of you. So, Hey, you buy golf, I'll beat you, and then we'll talk business the whole time. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I need 19 strokes, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll give you 17. Um, no, uh, thank you again. Uh, thank you for everybody that listened all the way up to this point. Uh, check us out. Um, we'll hopefully be back again here in a week or two with our next guest. I won't spoil it quite yet, but uh, thank you to Darren. Um, and go check out Cobalt um, and, uh, and New Face. So. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed it, Reed, as always. And uh, go Chiefs. See you soon. <laughs>